Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a one trillion dollar tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk/greattalent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com/wondersuite. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The other hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hello, Chris. Um, good morning. Uh, good to talk again. Um, it's been an incredible week with the budget, with the stuff that's going on in Israel and Gaza at the moment. Um, I am in beautiful Kinsale this morning um, in a hotel called the Kinsale Hotel and Spa, just outside the town. Uh, beautiful hotel, beautiful view out over Oyster Bay. And um, I'm speaking at a Lions Club breakfast here this morning. And um, I believe about 275 people have registered for it, all in the name of raising money for some local charities. So, um, yeah, my my friend Cormac Fitzgerald, who is an accountant down here in Kinsale, has organized most of it, invited me down. So um, delighted to be here and looking forward to it. But anyway, Chris, back to more mundane matters. I hope you had a good week. Um, I've been totally tied up in budget issues uh, speaking at events all over the country and doing a lot of analysis. So I think um, we should certainly devote some time this morning to um, an overview of the budget. Um, a few days later, uh, we had inflation out of the United States yesterday and indeed out of Ireland. The So that's certainly, well, the US inflation will create a bit of a stir in bond markets. So um, I'll give you another opportunity to expound on the importance of bond yields. The Israeli situation, you know, continues to look absolutely horrible with one and a half million Palestinians being advised to go from the north to the south of Gaza. So that situation is really, really um, moving in a horrible direction. And the, the final thing, Chris, I've, as I say, been on the road most of the week covering budget stuff and d- doing a bit of lecturing here and there. So I really have not been paying much attention to media, uh, but the Labour Party conference in the United Kingdom, um, if you've been following that, I'd just like to get your perspective on how you see it. 
Uh, but anyway, Chris, going back to Tuesday, we had the last budget before the European and local elections next June and the second last budget, presumably, before the next general election in February 2025, presented by Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath. A 14 billion package, which was huge, um, up from an 11 billion package last year, which was also huge. So it really was an injection of significant fiscal stimulus into the economy. How did you rate the budget? And, you know, did you see any strategy there? Because we have discussed in recent podcasts about the lack of long term planning, the lack of strategic thinking in the budgetary process in this country. So did the budget disappoint? Well, it didn't disappoint in the sense that it met expectations, or at least it met mine, which is that, first of all, we always say that it's it's well leaked. And like all budgets, it was. Um, it was, as I think both of us have described in various forums this week, uh, a budget for, uh, with something for everybody in the audience, which continues the trend that we've seen for, for a long time now, but particularly the last couple of budgets. It was a different size to the one last year, but very similar in nature. Though There was lots of things that were very interesting in the budget, but I do think that with, with perhaps one or two caveats, it wasn't very strategic. The strategic bits of it, of course, were um, the very welcome establishment of the two big funds, $100 billion for all sorts of things in the future, and an infrastructure and environment fund of a, of a smaller size. These two funds into which surplus revenues are going to be channeled, uh, assuming that those surplus revenues turn up, because the week also saw the OECD move forward on its Pillar 1 uh, corporation tax reforms. There's a lot of water still to flow under the bridge of those reforms, not least ratification by the member countries of the OECD. But this is the one bit of global corporation tax reform that does represent perhaps the biggest threat. I don't know if you'd agree with that, uh, to Irish corporation tax revenues, if it's implemented in full in the way that uh, member OECD countries want. Because this is the one that essentially says if you do business in the country concerned, that's where you pay at least some of your corporation tax. And there's a reasonably complicated set of rules about how you calculate that. You have to be a certain size company with certain size revenues and it's a proportion and it's all those sorts of fiddly calculations. We'll see if it gets implemented. It's not an immediate threat, but that's the strategic threat to the Irish fiscal situation. And we've talked about that endlessly. Other than that, um, the other strategic thing I suppose you could say was a 250 million fund for SMEs. That inevitably and appropriately was praised by IBEC, the uh, employers' organisation. IBEC themselves commented that it was a budget that struck an appropriate balance between social cohesion and economic objectives. Uh, I thought that was possibly a little over the top in terms of praise for the budget, because I think that notwithstanding my remarks about those funds being set up, um, it wasn't particularly strategic. My emphasis would be on the one for everybody in the audience point that we made. And on that, the thing that puzzles me is that the strategy of spreading the spreading the love very widely 
trying to please everybody is a strategy followed by this coalition for some time in order to gain political advantage, one presumes. Um, and the simple fact is that um, if you look at the standing in the opinion polls, they haven't gained any political advantage. So I wonder why they keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Is that the quintessential definition of madness? And I know you, um, in a budget presentation we, that we did jointly yesterday, uh, said that the reason why they do it is because uh, if they don't, they would ex ex exact or, or the electorate would exact a political price on them. I don't know. It's um, it's it's a, it's a debate and it, it, it's all about politics, about which you, I think, are more of an expert than I. So, yeah, um, it met my expectations, but I guess my expectations bar wasn't set particularly high, Jim. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, talking about the corporation tax piece, um, we, we've seen a lot of discussion in recent times about the possible vulnerability of future corporation tax receipts. Um, I note that in the medium term economic and fiscal assumptions, which the Department of Finance publishes in line with the budget, that corporation tax take is expected to remain quite strong out to 2026, which is far, as far out as the forecasts go, you know, 23.6 billion expected this year, which is an undershoot of 750 million. Um, and that reflects really what we saw in August and September with corporation tax take, which disappointed a little bit. But by 2026, they're expecting to be collecting in excess of 25 billion. So despite all the rhetoric and despite the budgetary data that's presented by taking out those what they would regard as the 10 to 12 billion in windfall corporation tax gains, um, you know, they're, they're, they're still projecting a reasonably stable and solid corporation tax take. And that is incredibly important. Um, in the finance bill next week, pillar two of that OECD deal is going to be written into legislation. Um, and that is the minimum tax rate of 15% for companies with turnover in excess or groups with turnover in excess of 750 million. And that is due to be implemented from the 1st of January. And I think there's every possibility that actually that could lead to a little bit of a boost to the corporation tax take, because at 15 percent, Ireland will still be in a global context, a pretty low tax environment. So I'm not concerned about that pillar two, particularly pillar one, as you say, the OECD started to give it fresh impetus this week. It does have to go through uh, the political process around the OECD countries. Um, and it'll take some time, but definitely it does pose a threat because it does mean that companies that are headquartered here in Ireland for balance sheet purposes will in future have to pay more tax in the jurisdiction where they sell the goods and services rather than here where the balance sheet is located. So that definitely does present some threat. Uh, the magnitude of that threat, I think, uh, will only materialize as Pillar 1 um, gets amended and pushed through the system. Uh, so uh, elsewhere, I mean, I 14 billion budget, I would totally agree with you about the political impact of that. You know, we've seen this is the third very generous budget in a row. The fortunes of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have not improved over that period and in fact have deteriorated a little bit, if anything. And I have no doubt that this budget 
will not give the government parties any significant longer term gain in the opinion polls or sustainable gain in the opinion polls. So I, I think politically um, it will fail. But if they had not gone for this approach, I think the political price that would have been paid would have been even greater. You know, that's the nature of um, our democratic politics here at the moment. Uh, what else could I say about it? It was a sort of a definitely a scattergun approach to economic management. Um, the 250 million package for the SME sector, the details of that have not yet materialized. It is going to be based on uh, basically a grant based on your commercial rates, I think up to 50% possible. But I would fear that as the details emerge, that 250 million will be spread very thinly across thousands of SMEs. You know, that that's the problem. Um, and I heard Danny McCoy, the um, head of IBEC, talk about it on radio the other morning. And, you know, he, he broadly welcomed budget, as you say, but he did say that that 250 million is only the beginning of the sort of support that the SME sector will require here uh, for the first for the foreseeable future, given the pressures on um, costs, particularly you know the minimum wage going up again by twelve point four percent to twelve seventy. We've been asked a lot this week by various people what we thought were the missed opportunities of the budget, and there were many. And there were a couple of things in the budget that I absolutely hated. The number one thing that I hated was the reintroduction of mortgage interest tax relief. It was cack-handed the way they did it. I think it's going to cause some problems when they implement it. And I wonder just how temporary it's going to be. That's a broader point to be made there about temporary measures is that they have a horrible habit of becoming permanent. Once you give people sweeties, if, uh, we find that it's very difficult to take them back. And that's um, human nature. Mortgage interest rate tax relief is something I've described as the cockroach of economic policy making. We've tried to stamp on it in both the UK and the US for many uh, UK and Ireland for many years. And like a cockroach, even if you stamp on them, they just keep coming back. It just keeps coming back. So that's one thing that I hated. But the strategic missed opportunity relates to your comments there about SMEs and the funding announced for those and also the earlier remarks we made about corporation tax. And we know that corporation tax receipts represent the biggest strategic threat to the Irish economy. We keep fretting, the Department of Finance keeps fretting, the Minister for Finance keeps fretting about the temporary nature of those receipts and the things like the OECD tax reforms and just the profits of those multinationals, those very few multinationals themselves, they might disappear. And God forbid that the companies themselves should disappear from Ireland. So if we know what the strategic threat is, then we should do something about it. It's called risk management. It's called future proofing your economy. It's called doing the right thing. So if you're going, if you're worried about a particular source of revenues disappearing and a source of jobs, actually, um, or at least shrinking or not being what it was or whatever form of words you want to use, do something about it. And it strikes me that the obvious strategic response to that strategic threat of corporation tax revenues proving temporary is to grow the domestic Irish economy, to do something for the Irish economy, for, and in particular, SMEs. Now, yes, they did do something, but as Danny McCoy said, um, perhaps it was only the start. This, If you were to think about 
strategic threats to the Irish economy should have been a budget about growing the Irish economy in response to the biggest economic threat, or one of them, that we face. And I would have, at the very least, called it a budget for SMEs. At least that would have been my subheading. Um, my top heading would have been it should have been a budget for housing, because one of the great puzzles for me about Irish politics and economics in recent years is how they just don't seem to quite get it that housing is the issue that's going to cost them at the next general election. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you on that, Chris, because if you look at the voter profile of the Sinn Féin support um, it's it's very strong in those age segments that are most adversely affected by the housing crisis. And, you know, I talk to a lot of young people who tell me they're going to vote Sinn Féin. Um, it, it, it kind of surprises me until they say, well, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, which might be our natural inclination, uh, they're not doing anything about housing. You know, they're not making any significant progress. So hence, um, if that's not working, let's try something different. So that that is certainly one issue. And as you know, I have railed on for a long time about the failure not to treat housing as the emergency or crisis problem facing the economy at the moment. In relation to the SME sector, I mean, I, I totally agree with you, Chris, that I, I don't believe there is any long term strategy for the SME sector that 250 million package while welcome. Uh, you know, will be, as I, I think, spread very thinly over thousands of SMEs. Um, and, and the question is, I, I have posited the notion for some time now that what we need is a specific agency with responsibility for the SME sector, uh, like the IDA does for foreign direct investment. Um, and Enterprise Ireland does a really good job in promoting the export capability of SMEs and larger companies. Uh, but there are a lot of SMEs that don't export, you know, and, and that wouldn't come under the radar of Enterprise Ireland. So I think a much more strategic approach to the SME sector, and that by definition would require a lot of state support, basically, in a lot of different areas. You know, one of the areas is very certainly access to funding as, and, and 
I have spoken to you in the past about the notion of some sort of state bank with specific responsibility for the SME sector uh, because the existing banking system just isn't delivering for many SMEs. Um, I think a second issue is this sort of notion of creating strong mentoring because a lot of SMEs um, are really good at doing what they do, which is producing a gooder service, but they're a lot less good at issues like ESG, um, HR, financial management, marketing, particularly digital marketing, marketing, all of that stuff um, that a lot of SME owners really don't have time and perhaps don't have the expertise to actually um, do or deliver. So, yeah, I, I think a much more strategic approach to the SME sector, because um, if you're in a company, you identify, you create a risk register, you look at the risks that the company faces, you attach a probability to those risks actually materializing, and then you attach some sort of metric to what sort of impact that risk would have on your company if it were to materialize. That's what a risk register is. And I think the same thing should be done in a very strategic way uh, um, at national economy level. Um, and, and as you say, uh, it is the concentration risk we have with the SME sector. Um, that is one of the greatest potential existential risks we face. So you address it. And one way of addressing it is to very definitely to make sure the rest of the economy is as strong and sustainable and as supported as possible. So yeah, your comments about Sinn Féin and housing, I think, are well made. I had dinner with a 25-year-old Dubliner last night, and he was telling me he listened to a podcast in which Piers Doherty was interviewed, the Sinn Féin finance spokesman, about the budget. And my 25-year-old friend was not, is not a Sinn Féin voter, at least I don't think he is. I didn't actually ask him. I'm pretty sure he's not. Uh, the but he thought that Doherty was very impressive and he said a couple of interesting things. He said normally his impression of Doherty is that he just rants and raves and that he's not terribly interesting and he's a, he's a very angry politician. He said he was struck by Doherty's reasonableness and calm demeanour during the interview in which he actually, uh, the Sinn Féin finance spokesman, actually praised some bits of the budget, um, which came as a surprise because he said that normally you just expect the Shinners to, to attack everything and the second thing he said, the thing that really resonated with him is that when he, when Pierce Doherty was asked, what would you have done? He said, well, I'd have just made it budget for housing. I'm paraphrasing slightly. Um, and I would have introduced an extra two billion to spend on housing. And it was the simplicity of that that I think really resonated with my um, dinner companion. And he said that that's the, the opportunity that was missed. And he said exactly the same thing that you and I have just said, which is that it's the most extraordinary thing that this coalition just doesn't seem to get the housing crisis. It just doesn't, either it doesn't care or it doesn't get it, or maybe a bit of both. It's yeah, a puzzle, isn't it? It is quite puzzling because here am I now going to be in receipt of 450 euro in electricity credits over the coming months. And if you spread that across, I'm not, I actually off the top of my head, I can't remember how much that measure is going to cost, but it's very, very expensive. If you devote that sort of money to stuff that actually needs it and it's housing. And of course, yeah, I mean, Pierre, sorry, it's great to say two billion. But the other thing you have to do is to make sure that the construction sector has the capacity actually 
to use that money and to deliver what needed. But it has to be the focus. But it's not. It is extraordinary. And Sinn Féin get that. They really do get that. And, and in other areas, um, and, uh, you know, Sinn Féin are very definitely moving to the sort of the more moderate centre at the moment in terms of the rhetoric. And, you know, they've backed off, Pierce Doherty has backed off the notion of a wealth tax, for example, um, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, and as you say, you know, the, the person you were at dinner with last night talking about how reasonably he came across, um, you know, the parties of government just don't seem to get it. It is extraordinary. But anyway, Chris, the the discussion we had um, on the budget yesterday, um, I think will be going up on our um, Substack next week. So there, there is a more detailed discussion. Um, if I may bring you to what's happening um, on the inflation front. Yesterday, we got the US inflation number. Disappointed a little bit. The, 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 the month-on-month increase was 0.4%, a 3.7% year-on-year increase. Um, it was higher than expected, disappointed market expectations. And indeed, here in Ireland, um, inflation <clears throat> excuse me, increased to 6.4% in September. And what's contributing here, food prices um, rising by 0.4% on the month, 7.5% year-on-year. Um, and that's at variance what we saw on Chinese food price inflation, for example, this morning. Uh, so it's interesting. Uh, petrol and diesel prices up strongly during the month, and that's reflecting what's happening in global energy markets. Uh, but another interesting piece for me is that restaurants, so the cost of eating out increased by 1% in the month. Why is that? It's because the government increased the VAT rate for the sector from 9% to 13.5%. So um, yeah, my dinner companion last night commented that uh, the prices have gone up in that in that restaurant a lot since he was last in there, which wasn't that long ago, and uh, that's yet another small indicator of inflation. The U.S. inflation print was very interesting, not least because uh, it was disappointing, and the headline number uh, came in stronger than expected, as you said, Jim. And the reason for it is to do with housing costs. They they have a peculiar way of calculating the cost of housing, which they try to incorporate house prices and in particular renting in the United States. Shelter, they call it quaintly. And if you strip that out, uh, inflation wasn't that bad. It really wasn't a big deal. Um, In fact, it showed that uh, inflation has reached the more or less the Fed's target but if you exclude all the things that go up, you'll always get a good a good inflation number. We always say that. The market reaction to the number was uh, violent, actually. The, the equity market, the stock market, initially took it in its stride. But the bond market, the all-important bond market, did not. And we've had three days this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, where bond yields, thankfully, were falling, but for really all the wrong reasons. It was the so-called flight to safety as the geopolitical risk register, to use your words, very good words earlier on, suddenly had a new item on it, the Middle East. And that traditionally, and this time, provokes what's called a flight to safety to um, less risky assets. And US Treasury bonds um, are attractive in, in those circumstances and their prices rose and their yields fell. 
and rising yields has been a problem for markets for a number of weeks now. So it came as something of a relief to all the markets that are priced off bonds, which are all markets, as I keep saying. But yesterday was different. Those bond yields spiked up again. There was, uh, to be technical about it for a second, the US tried to sell, they did sell a lot of 30-year treasuries. These bond yields are, as their name suggests, very long-term. And these 30, this 30-year 30 bond auction, as it's called, um, didn't go very well. And that really spooked the stock market. And the stock market had a poor day. And uh, I think that's more likely to continue than not. Because if these bond deals stay where they are, then I do think stock markets are extremely vulnerable. I've said that before, and I'll probably keep saying it until I'm wrong. But of course, the 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 background for bonds this week has been the conflict in the Middle East, Jim. And that just seems to be getting worse, if it could get any worse, at least from a geopolitical point of view. The human cost of that war is very, very evident already. And the fear we have this morning is that it's going to get a lot more worse. Uh, a lot, you know, It's going to just going to get even more horrible for pretty much everybody out there. Um, if not in the broader region. And there are lots of things one could say about that. There are lots of ways in which I think either or both of us could get us into an awful lot of trouble. People have been having a go at me on Twitter for some of the views that I've expressed. I should know better. I should really leave the Twitter machine alone. It's a cesspit. The the thing, I before inviting you to give us your remarks, I'm not going to get into the weeds of the Israel thing because it's so fast moving. We've, we have this story this morning that over a million residents of Gaza have been told by Israel to move from the north to the south. Um, the one thing I would say is, to, to myself as much as anything else, is be very careful about the language that we use. This is a moment for being absolutely clear and also to admit one's own ignorance. Uh, I was speaking to somebody yesterday about this and they were saying, geez, this has been going on since the 1940s, hasn't it? And I was struck by how, you know, frankly ignorant that remark was. This has been going on since well before the time of Christ, when when the, the various peoples of the region um, were members of uh, the Canaanite tribe and, and others. And they've been fighting over this land for uh, on and off for uh, repeatedly for a very, very long time. There's a lot of history that very, very few people, very few of us are aware of, let alone understand uh, the other thing I would say is that if you want to have a better informed discussion analysis, even your own internal thought process about what's going on and to understand that it is just so complicated and it isn't as simple as many people on both sides of the debate seem to think. There were three articles out of countless that I've read this week that I would urge people to read. First of all, there was something in the FT written by somebody called David Grossman, and its title was, Israel is in a nightmare. Who will we be when we rise from the ashes? I won't summarize the article. I won't even say anything about the article. I'll just say, do have a look, please, because it, it's very, very informative. For those people who are opining on the military situation and what's going to be going on, and in particular, the rule of war, the, the laws of war, if you like, there's an awful lot of armchair lawyers out there at the moment who are saying that so-and-so should be doing this and this action is illegal and all that kind of stuff. And there's a fantastic article by somebody called David French in the New York Times yesterday. And the title of the article is What 
it would mean to treat Hamas, Hamas like ISIS. And it is a long article, well worth a read, and introduces military analysis, legal analysis, that I think will surprise an awful lot of people. I didn't know, for example, that under the rules of war, the law of war, under international agreements, uh, if you station yourself in a hospital or a school or a civilian building and start shooting at your opponents and your opponents shoot back and that hospital, school or private residence is raised to the ground and civilian casualties result, you, the person that stationed yourself in that hospital, are the ones responsible in law. Um, and there are lots of things like that. There are various terms used that I'd never come across before. So it certainly sorted out some of my ignorance. Um, I didn't know that in Iraq, for example, lawyers were embedded in um, battalions of the U.S. Army on combat duties um, to make sure that they did uh, adhere to the rules. And this author says that Israel will have something similar. So it, it was just fascinating from a, from a whole host of perspectives. Um, the third article that I would refer you to is in The Atlantic, uh, a fantastic publication, actually. If I might give a plug for that in a more broader context, I would certainly um, urge people to, to take a look at it. There's always something fascinating in The Atlantic. Um, but there's a uh, an article, I'm just going to look it up because I've forgotten its title. It's called Against Barbarism and Why We Are in the Fight of Our Lives. And by we, he means all of us. This is a chap called Elliot A. Cohen. And again, I won't go into it in any great detail. Time doesn't permit. But again, for people who are willing to steal themselves and dig deep into the, the weeds of these issues, this is a fabulous, fabulous piece of writing. Great, Chris. Uh, listen, thank you very much. I'm afraid I have to run. I have 275 eager Kinsalians waiting to hear about the budget downstairs. Um, I, I really do want to talk to you next week about the Labour Party conference because with all of the global geopolitical stuff you've just been describing and, of course, domestically with the budget, um, it, it hasn't got as much attention as it deserves, I believe. So I'd, I'd love to hear your views on how Kirschdarmer um, actually came across and, more importantly, what it says about the future of UK politics so I really do look forward to having a more in-depth discussion with you on that. Uh, it was great to meet you in Dublin this week in person again. And um, I look forward to talking next week. So have a great Cheers, weekend, buddy. Chris. Bye. Good luck with your charity event. Hope you Thank raise you loads of money. Cheers. Thank you very much, sir. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on The Other Hand. We hope you enjoyed it. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. 
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.